0: Welcome to the EU Church of Kent, where our mission is to inspire love, seek justice, and grow in community.
1: As Unitarian Universalists, when we gather, we light a flame within a chalice. It's a symbol of sanctuary and safety. It unites us in our worship, and it reminds us of our ongoing search for the light of truth. Our chalice lighter this morning is Riley. Would you join me now for the words light in light the chalice, which are in your order of service? O light of life, of hope, of possibility, be kindled again in our hearts as we meet together this morning to celebrate the joy of human community, seeking a wholeness that extends beyond ourselves.
0: elections happening this week. An interesting thing about elections is that they inevitably produce winners and losers. There is no middle ground. Elections are in keeping with our commitment to democratic principles, yet the binary outcomes can seem so different from the other ideals we hold for promoting community and shared goals, fostering harmony and relationships, and looking for peaceful win-win solutions. Elections often underscore the divisions and differences within society. Yet once they are over, there is an opportunity to move forward in pursuing our ideals, both with those who share our views as well as those who do not. But how can we do that? As religious liberals, how can we respond in ways that promote love and not fear? Responding with love can sound easy, but in practice can be a challenge. How can we show respect for the inherent worth and dignity of others when we feel so opposed to their views? Thich Nhat says, we are only engaging in authentic dialogue with another when we are willing to be changed. Do we want to be in dialogue with those who hold a different view? Do we want to make space for different viewpoints? What can we draw on from our Unitarian Universalist faith that might help heal the brokenness in our society? How can we create a more beloved community where all are treated fairly? Come let us ponder these questions as we worship together. For our opening hymn, it's number 1014, Um, the author has asked that the words be changed from standing on the side of love to answering the call of love. So we'll practice those new words today.
1: In the absence of creed, dogma, or doctrine, the question we raise is how shall we be together? And the answer is covenant, a promise to join our hands and walk together toward the lives we seek to lead as we build the beloved community. So every week, we renew these promises to one another. So would you join me now in the words for the covenant, which are in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek truth and love, and to help
2: one another. It goes like this. May our chalice shine all through our lives. May our chalice shine all through our lives. May our chalice shine all through our lives.
3: May our chalice shine.
2: Spoken, may our truly be again? And, and may our, our lives fulfill kingdom, this promise. And, and may, may our, our lives fulfill this promise. This promise of peace.
3: This promise of
2: peace. This promise of peace. This promise of peace.
3: This promise of peace. This promise. Of peace. A
1: commissioning is the act of granting certain powers or authority to carry out a particular task or duty. Today we are commissioning our Board of Trustees. It is important to recognize the work of leadership that our Board does, to formally bestow upon them the authority they need to carry out this work on our behalf to remind them to work in collaboration with one another, with us, with me, with the staff, and to offer them our support and our blessing so that they may faithfully do what we ask of them. These are the words of Phyllis O'Connell. No policy handbook ever says that what the board does is holy work. This is not a committee that leads worship, makes moving music, or stirs our hearts in reflection and wonder. But without your leadership and the work you do, this place would not exist. While no one might ever call serving on the board a spiritual discipline, know that it is without question a daring act of hope, a trust in one another, and faith in what we can do together. I now invite our board of trustees to come forward. Danny, Jennifer, David, Colleen, Dave, Vivian, Shannon, Blaine, and Diana, You are charged with leading this congregation and holding before us our mission and our vision, keeping sight of the big picture, and governing in a way that honors our past and guides us toward our future. Do you willingly and joyfully accept this charge? If so, please say we do. We do. Members and friends of this congregation, Do you affirm these elected leaders as volunteers who need your support, your participation, and your appreciation, as well as your caring and concern? If so, please say, we do. We do. Thank you. Members of the Board of Trustees, on behalf of the congregation, receive your charge. We charge you to be guided in your work by our mission, our vision, and by the principles we affirm in common. We charge you to affirm the inherent dignity and worth of every person and to champion the rights of children, youth, women, and men, straight and gay, old and young, that this might indeed be a free church open to all people. We charge you to cherish our spiritual diversity and to help us live together so that we are strengthened rather than divided by our religious pluralism, so that we might truly cherish the integrity of each individual and search for truth with reason as our guide. We charge you to honor our past without being bound by it, that we might be mindful of our past and yet open to receiving new truth as our fourth principle, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, calls us to do. And finally, we charge you to hold in your hearts the needs of the wider community in which we live, so that we will live out our commitment to building the common good in community, nation, and the world. Board of Trustees, with joy and trust in your leadership, we commission you to lead this congregation. We thank you for your willingness to serve, and we offer you our support and our blessings. Thank you. After what we can only describe as a somewhat wild and unpredictable week, with its joys, its sorrows, it's time to be together as a community once again, to take time to turn inward, to return to the home of our souls, to nurture our spirits with silence and the care of this gathered community, to come all to mind the joys and sorrows that come with living, and to reflect on the mysteries of life. We begin by holding in our hearts the victims of the California shooting this last week with our prayers for their family and friends and loved ones and our prayers for peace and sanity in this nation once again. We also hold in our hearts, our thoughts and our prayers of the victims of the fires that are raging in California. We share that 11 o'clock today, peace was created 100 years ago. Let us always remember that peace is possible.
2: The Holocaust is a stunning reminder of the tragic results of prejudice and hate toward other people. But it's also a reminder that hope, held firm, will eventually reign victorious over the greatest odds. The words of this next piece, called Inscription of Hope, were inscribed on the walls of a cellar in Cologne, Germany, where Jews were hiding from the Nazis during World War II. Hope was all they had to hold on to. Hope was their only bridge, was their only bridge to a brighter tomorrow.
0: Wright Magoon writes if we are going to rely on love it must be a radical love a revolutionary love what is that radical love allows us to see that we are all interconnected and so any action or inaction we take mends or tears that fabric there is no neutral position No way to stay out of politics or stay on the sidelines. Staying on those sidelines implies that we approve. The really tricky thing is how we can work to love our opponents, such as torch-bearing white supremacists while still stopping them from murdering our siblings of color or How can we love ourselves unconditionally while still holding ourselves to high standards of accountability? The late writer and activist Barbara Deming wrote about two hands of nonviolence. With one hand, we say to one who is angry or to an oppressor or to an unjust system, stop what you are doing. I refuse to honor the role you are choosing to play. I refuse to obey you. I refuse to cooperate with your demands. I refuse to build the walls and the bombs. I refuse to pay for the guns. With this hand, I will even interfere with the wrong you are doing. I want to disrupt the easy pattern of your life. And then the advocate of nonviolence raises the other hand. It is raised outstretched maybe with love and sympathy, maybe not, but always outstretched. With this hand we say, I won't let go of you or cast you out of the human race. I have faith that you can make a better choice than you are making now, and I'll be here when you are ready. Like it or not, we are part of one another. So radical love requires that we resist and dismantle the systems that oppress some of us more directly than others, and all of us in the end. As we resist these systems, we hold out a radical love for all the people within the systems, which is all of us. It's a commitment to listen, to wonder, to tend the wound, to act, and to humbly consider that we can just as easily be hardened by hate, immobilized by indifference, or stifled by ignorance. As Valerie Cowell says, love is more than a feeling. Love is sweet labor that can be modeled, taught, and practiced. And for our second reading by Elizabeth Stevens. Oh my dear ones, I know you were hoping for a once and done. For an earthquake, a tidal wave, hoping that if we gave it our all, a single push would be enough. That after this, we could sink back into complacency, back into the comfort of our privilege. I confess in the secret corners of my heart, I wanted to believe it could be that easy, that justice would emerge as from an egg fully grown, not with wet down and weak wings. But beloveds, we are chipping away at a mountain, not a boulder, calcified structures created to oppress, control, kill. 2,000 years of this stupid idea that some are worthy, some deserve power by virtue of who they are. Erosion is slow work, dear ones. Celebrate the the progress, the triumphs. Celebrate also the heartbreaking almost. Breathe, rest for a time, then get up, and turn again toward kindness, toward your neighbor in need, toward those who are still trapped in the stone. Tell them, I won't give up. I am with you. Tell them, for you, I will learn to eat rocks. For you, I will keep chewing, keep grinding, until the mountain crumbles to dust."
1: To each of you who voted this week, worked at the polling stations, transported people, knocked on doors or campaigned for your candidates, or had an intimate and heartfelt conversation with your neighbors before you voted, you did, didn't you? Thank you. This was an intense midterm election. It was a hard battle with its victories and its losses. Maybe not the blue tidal wave many of us were hoping for, but yet the outcome promises to shift the balance of power and inclusiveness with the election of record numbers of women, people of color, and GLBTQ people. It's one more battle in a war that rages on, a war for the soul of this nation, a civil war of words, a fight between conservative and liberal people of color and a system built to oppress them a cultural clash of values and beliefs about who we are as a nation and who we will be in the years to come. I experienced that war within my own family last year during my sabbatical. My mother and I took a road trip west with a list of national parks to visit, including the Badlands, Yellowstone, and the Grand Canyon. During our trip, we stopped to visit my younger brother, Brendan, in Boise, Idaho. While we were there, he and I took his dog for a walk and the fun started when he said, Christians are being persecuted. My response was a reference to bull (laughs) byproducts and a very sharp-tongued inquiry. Where did you hear that nonsense as if I didn't already know? Little brother quoted Fox News chapter and verse and admitted that was his only source of information. My responses were dismissed as a product of the fake liberal news media. That brief conversation was painful. You could feel the angry stew boiling. The tension between us was high. Have you had a conversation like that with a family member or friend? A conversation where the truth comes out, you voted for her and they voted for him. You don't agree on immigration, abortion, marriage equality, the economy, or any other hot button issues we face as a nation. As the conversation escalates, each side digs in, convinced they're right, and it becomes little more than a shouting match that ends in anger, hurt, and broken relationships. The punishment is swift and severe. You delete each other on your social media. This isn't a new fight. Humans have always fought each other for the right to have their values dominate the social order, and our country has always been in the midst of a cultural war. Before we became a nation, the colonies were sharply divided by religion. To be of a different faith in a colony dominated by another faith could mean, at best, banishment or, at worst, death. The founding fathers, in their wisdom, recognized the danger of privileging a single point of view— and understood that it is in the interplay of ideas, through dialogue and debate, that new understanding and new possibilities are found. Their brilliant solution to the clash of religion and culture was the Constitution, which is more than a legal document that defines how we govern ourselves. The Constitution is a covenant, a spiritual document that holds before us our most cherished values as a nation and shapes how we are to be in relationship with our fellow citizens. The primacy of individual conscience and consent, the importance of public virtue, the equal value of every voice and the freedom of every voice to be heard. 240 years later, the great democratic experiment is failing. We've broken our national covenant. Civil discourse, conversation in the public square, The exchange of ideas in a mutually respectful way has all but vanished, replaced by a them-and-us mentality in which each side has dug its trenches and hunkered down, convinced of its righteousness, and unwilling to listen to anything other than its own viewpoint. Stephen Marsh writes that in 2016, the Pew Research Center found that 45% of Republicans and 41% of Democrats declared the opposing party's policies are a threat to the nation's well-being. Political adversaries regard each other as un-American. They regard the other's media, whether it's Fox News or the New York Times, as fake news. Many people don't even want their children to marry members of the opposing political party. Verbal incivility has turned into a rising tide of violent rhetoric with devastating consequences. Michael Scheuer, a former senior CIA official, recently wrote on a blog post that has since been deleted that it was quite near time for Trump supporters to kill Trump opponents. In a pre-election sermon, my colleague Rob L.R. Isaacs talked about this failure of our democratic process. He said, our government was once the result of authentic person-to-person engagement. Something has gone seriously wrong. We've lost our way. We have become disconnected from the neighborly respect that must inform and undergird the life of a republic. We've lost the heart of our democracy. We no longer consider our fellow citizens worth knowing if they don't agree with us. Your response might be, well, as Unitarian Universalists, we're not like that. Really? Are we open to listening to the opposing viewpoint? Or are we so wrapped up in our own ideology and make no mistake, we have an ideology, that our response is to sneer at their ideology and write off many of our fellow citizens as fools enthralled to a would-be dictator. In her call to worship, Kathy said, elections often underscore the divisions and differences within society. Yet once they are over, there is an opportunity to move forward in pursuing our ideals, both with those who share our views as well as those who do not. But how do we do that? There are those who say, we can't that any attempts at dialogue across the ideological divide are nothing more than large-scale conflict avoidance. UU Bill Doherty disagrees. He is part of the Better Angels movement, a national citizen's movement, to reduce political polarization in the United States by bringing liberals and conservatives together to understand each other beyond stereotypes, forming red-blue community alliances, teaching practical skills for communicating across political differences, and making a strong public argument for depolarization. Bill says political discourse (coughs) is not only necessary, but he also warns us about the spirit in which this discourse must be done, saying that when it doesn't foster authentic engagement across all that divides us, it is spiritually bankrupt and destructive to our ideals. I took another walk with my brother during our visit, and that time I took a different approach. So earlier, you said that Christians are being persecuted. Tell me about that. Honest curiosity in the face of pain and disagreement is a great way to communicate. I wanted to know, had he actually seen or experienced Christians being persecuted? He couldn't provide any examples or stories. It was hard for me not to feel smug and to prevent an outbreak of, aha, I knew it, I asked some questions to continue the conversation and to invite him to discover and express his perspective. As we continued to talk, we soon found ourselves both bemoaning the divisive state of politics and discovering things we actually agree about. We still speak to each other and we're still friends on Facebook. We were able to find common ground But what do we do when that common ground is neither possible nor morally acceptable? In the first reading, Reverend Emily Wright Magoon tells us about Barbara Deming's Two Hands of Nonviolence. With one hand we say to one who is angry or to an oppressor or to an unjust system, stop what you are doing. I refuse to honor the role you are choosing to play. I refuse to obey you. With the other outstretched hand we say, I won't let go of you or cast you out of the human race. I have faith that you can make a better choice than you are making now, and I'll be here when you're ready. Like it or not, we are part of one another. That is the best expression I've heard of how to live out our first principle, which affirms the inherent worth and dignity of every person, and our seventh principle, which reminds us that all of life is interconnected in the vast web of existence, And that ultimately we need one another for our well being. This is radical love, the love we need to guide us and ground us as our work continues to live up to our spiritual vision for this country. That vision has not yet been realized because we are not yet a nation where women are equal enough, so that the very fact that they are women is still something to take note of when speaking of their achievements and where the primary responsibilities of parenting are assumed to fall more to women wherever children are being raised by a heterosexual couple or a single mother. We are not a truly free people where people of color enjoy the safety, the privilege, and the opportunities we as white people take for granted. We are not yet a land where immigrants are welcome to the labor force instead of being seen as displacing members of the existing workforce many of whom were descendants, are descendants of immigrants just two or three generations ago. Ours is not yet a country with social services that provides an adequate safety net for children, elders, and those who are physically or mentally disabled. We are not yet a place where GLBTQ people can be themselves without fear of reprisal or, in the case of transgender people, the risk of a violent death. We have work to do. In this house, radical love asks us to be a people who lead social justice, especially racial justice, to be a spiritual home where humanity teaches humanity, where the values of love, compassion, radical hospitality, and democracy are learned and practiced, where every voice is heard, respected, and cherished. Beyond these walls, in order to erode the mountain of injustice and oppression, we must learn how to engage new partners, which means discovering shared values with a variety of people, some of whom will have a theology or political point of view with which we don't agree. Together, we must be willing to join hands and to raise them, to say no to the language of fear, no to the idolatry of nationalism, a false gospel where some are worthy and some are not, no to words and actions of violence, no, to anything that divides us or prevents every person from living fully and enjoying life's abundance. This is the work we must do if we truly care about our democracy and we want to live out our Unitarian Universalist faith fully. With hope for peace, for the future of a truly United States and guided by love, a love so large that no one is beyond it, Let us this day renew our covenant with one another and with our fellow citizens to engage in civil and respectful conversation about our future, to trust the wisdom found in a variety of voices, and to work about to bring about the beloved community where we will all dwell together in peace, mutual trust and respect, and love. May it be so, and it is only together that we can make it so let's take a moment of reflection
2: this is our life and these are the times we are the people and the dream is alive give us the strength to be humble and kind Respect one another and leave no one behind. From the mountains and
3: valleys,
2: that stretch to the sea, a brand new America is calling to me. I am filled with emotion as the flag is unfurled. It's a brand new America And a brand new world Now we all have a story We all have a prayer We're all, we are all equal And God is fair So lift up your voice Let freedom ring, eternally grateful for everything. From the mountains and valleys, that stretch to the sea, a brand new America is calling. The flag is unfurled It's a brand new America And a brand
1: to bring our time of worship to an end and to remind us of what we will carry out with us in the world would you join me in extinguishing the chalice we extinguish this flame but not the light of truth the warmth of community and the fire of commitment
3: may we carry these in our hearts and minds till we are together again